sometimes I wonder why I spent the lonely Welcome to Subtle Beast, everybody. I am your host, Foltz. With me, as always, my main man and partner in crime, Mr. Steve Apostolopoulos. How are you, brother? Oh, I feel good, Foltz. How are you? I feel excellent. I'm ready to uh, get into today's topic because it's so much fun. Um, yeah, everyone can probably relate on some level to um, the different stories and uh, folklore and legends that we're going to go over today because um, a lot of them are part of our childhood and part of our uh, growing up and just always a lot of good fun. Well, yeah, you hear about these things, um, and but to have them all together the way that we've compiled them is fantastic. I got to mention this, man. I feel the energy today in the studio. I do too. So, I mean, makes me feel like a little kid. So Yes. And um, I'm just excited to, to, to get, through, get through this and share this information because a lot of people – some of these um, mythical creatures and legends that we go over, you've probably heard of them, but you probably don't know, you know, too much of, of the background. I know that I learned something looking into this. So, uh, Steve, do you want to just kick us off? Yeah. Yeah. How about this? So for centuries, tales of mythological creatures and mythological beasts have captured our minds. Stories of mythological animals and monsters and other cool mythological creatures continue to spread across the world through books and through film and through television and, and many other media sources. Uh, sometimes these mythical creatures are purely symbolic and offer us a closer look at a particular culture's fears or their desires or values while other folk tales are about cute mythological creatures that are based off of human nature or perhaps simply invented to keep disobedient children in line. But uh, whatever the origin or purpose of these myths and folklore, people seem to be really drawn to them. So we've got a bunch of them. Yeah, and I know that there's some of, some of them that are on this list today that I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that my parents, I know for, for a fact my grandmother used as like <laughs> a scare tactic for children and stuff, but uh, we'll get to that. So the first one on the list, and I'm sure a lot of you, if not everyone's heard of him, like Gollum, like uh, what was it from Lord of the Rings? My precious. Yeah, my precious. <laughs> so, but what Gollums really are is they're famous in Jewish folklore. Gollums are most often depicted as beings created from inanimate matter, such as clay or mud which have been brought to life to serve some purpose. For example, in some stories, a golem is created to defend against anti-Semitic attacks. Now, according to legend, golems are uniquely obedient and will follow exact and literal orders. So their creators definitely have to be careful with what they, with what they ask them to do. Kind of like um, you know, King Midas he wanted everything that he touched to turn to gold. Then uh, eventually starved to death. Right. You see that with genies in the lamp. Like if you're wishing for something, but you make the wish too literal and it's granted, then all of a sudden you have to be careful. What yeah. You wish for. Yeah. I mean, genies, again, you just need to be literal. Uh, this next one, Steve, do you want to do this one? The or? Oni. Yes, yes. This one's cool because you don't really hear Oni much, but this one is in Japanese myth. Oni are people who were so truly wicked 
in their lives that they've transformed into demons in hell. Uh, some were even bad enough to be transformed while they were still alive. These giant scary monsters with red or blue skin, horns, tusks are traditionally the servants of hell. They enact violent punishment on evildoers and will eat just about anything, including humans. While stories or depictions of Oni may vary, they are always seen in a dangerous way and as powerful villains. It seems like once you become one of those, there's no coming back. Like, there's no redemption. Because now you're in charge of, like, terrorizing and taking human souls. And, well, know? I like the cultural differences. Like, we started off with the Jewish culture and the golems and how the, you know, they protect against the anti-Semitic uh, comments and stuff. Now this one, the Japanese myth, very harsh, very, uh, you know, real. Like, they are transforming into demons of hell while they're still alive, like, very literal, and I could see it, you know, kind of as a Japanese anime when I'm picturing it in my mind. Like, yeah, but I mean, and that's, but I think what the dark side of it is, it is like they were really bad in life. There's no redemption, and then you just you carry out the rest of your eternity enacting violent punishment on evildoers yourself. Then, oh my gosh, yeah, the I like the Japanese culture and the oni. I'm not familiar with it. It's kind of what I'm learning. But uh, I'd like to check it out a little bit more. Yeah. Now, one that we've all probably heard of before is the Cyclops, and they're most often depicted as a giant with one eye. The Cyclops first appeared in ancient Greek mythology. Somewhat lesser known than the classic Greek gods, the Cyclops lived in isolation and tended sheep or goats without any government, society, or community. It sounds amazing. While scorned for their lawlessness, it was the Cyclops who created Zeus's thunderbolts, Hades' helmet, which made the wearer invisible, and Poseidon's trident, and Artemis's silver bow. So we should give them some credit for creativity. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, my most, uh, my longest memory or my, you know, yeah, my longest memory of a Cyclops is probably um, when I was a kid, He-Man, there was a He-Man figure. Now, he had three eyes. Three eyes. Yeah, so he wasn't just quite the one-eye depiction. But, um, yeah, uh, so the Cyclops doesn't seem like too bad of a guy. He just kind of one of minds his business and such. Create stuff. I used to watch football on Sundays at a local sports bar, and there was a guy there that had a settlement from his job because he was – Pulling a bungee cord, it snapped, hit his eye, and it whatever the damage was was so great that they had to remove it. He had a, a glass prosthetic eye that he would wear, and it would it wouldn't move the same way, so it was always a little oh, bit sure. weird. But I never, I could always, is he a cyclops? <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's anything that you want to call him or i mean <laughs> i mean he's got one eye i mean unless he's creating thunderbolts and helmets and you know invisible because when i think of tribes. cyclops i think of like that one eye in the middle well yeah so this guy wasn't born a cyclops no he's 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 not a cyclops now similar to cyclopses are ogres steve you want to talk about ogres 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 are featured in folk tales from around the world, and though the word is of French origin, the creature itself is derived from the man-eating ancient Etruscan god Orcus. Now, many of us know ogres from Shrek, but Shrek is not your typical ogre. 
Ogres are usually large, tall, and strong with plenty of hair and a huge appetite. They are depicted as either dull or dim-witted or violent, but who knows? Maybe they're deeper when you look inside. Yeah, um, again, I've always been aware of ogres and in, in, in their place in folklore. And uh, a movie that I can recall from my childhood, uh, gosh, who knows, I could have been three uh, when this movie came out, was Time Bandits. And it was about these you know, time-traveling um, little people that would come through uh, uh, into this kid's bedroom, and they would time travel together. And they came upon an ogre, and you know he was grumpy and everything. <laughs> but uh, they helped him, helped him with his back, made his back feel better. And then, you know, spoiler alert from early stretched him out, hooked him onto the rack. Yeah, hooked him onto a rack, and uh, stretched his back out. And then they tossed him in the water, so they got the ship. But he didn't care because the water felt so good. But uh, yeah, ogres. Not just Shrek anymore. Now we have leprechauns. Now leprechauns are widely known and easily recognizable, especially if you ever had a certain breakfast cereal. While leprechauns originated in medieval Irish folklore, they did not become prominent until much later. Smaller, human-like beings, leprechauns are known to be solitary creatures with a love for mischief and practical jokes. Interestingly enough, according to folktales, a leprechaun's appearance and dress can change by region. Now, leprechauns for me are a big part of uh, my childhood and the childhood of my children. Um, probably when, um, well, when we were small and old enough to get and understand and be able to uh, walk on our own eat, um, easily, probably around three, I would say, uh, my dad would always take us out leprechaun hunting. And, of course, you know, it would just be ended up being a, a stone in a bag. But, you know, he would see him and, and dive into the trees and bushes and, and say that he caught him, and he would catch one for each of us. And uh, they would always say, you know, it, he would always tell us that the leprechauns they have they have a deal that if you if you catch them, that you have to release them. And so he would always twist the bag shut. But if you'd hold it up to a light, you could you could see the stone in there, so it looked like something. And uh, so when we would go to bed, he made sure that all the bags were on top of the fridge. And then he said, when I go to bed, I'll undo the bags and. Uh, and we'll let them go. And then in the morning, you know, some of the bags would be on the floor, and uh, there'd always be a dollar in there. So that was always a tradition in my house, and I did it with my kids too. And it's just good fun get them engaged and get them to use their imagination, because you know kids are sweet when they're small, and you like they start telling you, "I think I see one," right? You know, so then you're like, "Oh, I think you're right," you know. And I always loved it. Your tradition, your family's traditions are rich. And I love that about you. Uh, and I love when you share those stories. Yeah, I just hope that uh, my children, if you're listening, carry on these traditions. We don't want them to die out. So what about gnomes, Steve? Well, I mean, these are gnomes you always think of as in the garden, basically. Yeah. So when you think of gnomes, you might picture your standard garden gnome, a small cheerful guardian of flora and fauna, in some senses, this depiction isn't entirely incorrect. In European folklore, dwarf-like earth spirits called gnomes guarded underground treasures. Medieval myths depicted gnomes as creatures resembling little old men, often with hunched-over backs. Well, I'm definitely guilty of having them in my garden. I know we have at least three of them in our garden. Oh, yeah. We, had a, we got a lot of them last year. But uh, I like them. Now, they don't seem like they're... Uh too dangerous but then when you start getting into the next uh 
goblins. Oh. Now, goblins first appearing in Germanic and British folktales, goblins vary in abilities, physical appearances, and purposes depending on the story and purpose. Like many other European legends, the origin of the go- goblin mythology is not exactly clear. However, whether with devious tricks or real harm, they are universally known to be troublemakers and possess qualities of malice and greed. Yeah, I don't want a goblin. No, no. It sounds like some people I know, but I definitely don't want uh, any goblins around. Ghouls and goblins. Yeah. So this next one, um, fairies or fairies. Um, Fairies are also known as fairies. F-E-Y or F-A-E. And they can be traced back to old French medieval romance stories. These supernatural creatures or spirits are popular across a wide variety of myths, legends, and stories leading up to the present day. Generally, when we think of fairies or fairies, we think of small winged magical creatures. However, fairies were rarely depicted with wings outside of the Victorian artwork. In folktales, fairies flew using magic and occasionally caught a ride on the back of a friendly bird. There's I, a big uh, there's a big fairy culture out there. Bro, I had no idea how big the fairy culture was, but the online um, fairy pages are unreal. And in the spiritual world, people are uh, connecting with fairies, and they are uh, there's a huge they are like loved. People love fairies. Yeah, I mean, and who's to say that they're wrong? I mean, I. It, People can post anything, and of course, there's always Photoshop. But some people post some interesting pictures that you know you zoom in, it kind of looks like kind of looks like a fairy. But you know, who are we to say that they're not some type of interdimensional beings that, in certain areas, they come into our realm? Most famous uh, fairy in old Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell, yeah, you're right. Yep. You got it. So Gorgons, another memorable mythical creature from ancient Greece. The Gorgons, such as the famous Medusa were vicious monsters capable of turning victims into stone with just one look. The Gorgon's appearance was an interesting mix of beautiful and frightening, with their most notable feature being the fact that they had live snakes instead of hair. The Gorgon myths are less important lesson in Gorgon myths are an important lesson in not being tricked by beauty alone. There's a commercial out on TV right now that they use a, a Medusa. Dude, I saw it. It's so well done. She like puts her glasses down at the end and turns the bartender to stone. Yeah, that was. I I remember that uh, creature being in the Homer of Odyssey, the book, and Flash Gordon, and it was, it was like a crazy snake-haired. It was it was weird though, because this next one we kind of get into. It, it's kind of like a cross between that. Like they, they would be on these rocks and somehow these Medusa-like creatures would lure the sailors over to them with their beauty. But then when they would get close, they would realize that it was actually snakes for hair and that these bad things would do harm to them. And you had to trick them by showing them the reflection in the mirror. And then turning them to stone. Exactly. Now another... Uh the next one on our list, a lot of people look as like sweet and innocent, but not all the time. Not everything's Disney. Now, mermaids have a unique allure that has captivated people throughout history. Myths of half-human, half-fish creatures can be traced all the way back to ancient Babylon. Similarly, mer people are featured in Syrian, Polynesian, and Greek mythology. While some cultures depicted mermaids as beautiful and romantic, sometimes mermaid stories took on a more sinister tone where they're capable of foretelling and bringing disaster. 
Yeah, like like sailors used to say, they would be coming in, getting close to a shoreline, and they would look and hear some singing, and they'd look over on the rocks, and there'd be like three mermaids sitting over there, and trying to lure them in. But what it would do, then it would wreck the ship into the reef and kill them and or destroy the ship. Yeah, if you were the captain of a ship and like you're you're coming into port or whatever, and there's your people like the guests or whatever are there. And you would hear like a little kid, like, I thought I just saw a mermaid. That's got to put you on red alert. Like if they're foretelling disaster and uh, what what they're bringing and it's a negative thing, you've got to just be like, uh, you know, that's the last thing I wanted to hear was somebody say the word mermaid as I'm pulling in here. Yeah. Are we in shallow water? Steve, your favorite. Yep. This one, I love the way you say it. It's aqua bumelu. Uh, the Akrobumelu is a scorpion man, and it's a monstrous creature that originated in ancient Mesopotamia, specifically in Babylonian creation. Uh, they're a hybrid of a scorpion and a man with the body of a scorpion and the face, torso, and arms of a man. While they are terrifying in appearance and were created to wage war against the gods, they also stand as guardians and often warn travelers who might be in danger. I dig the scorpion man. Half scorpion. Half you know what that just reminded me of? What's that? The gargoyle. Oh, yeah. The gargoyle also similar, uh, not in structure, more like, um, like a, a dragon type of guardian that is up on top of the corner of a building you might be walking through even churches because they're said to ward off evil spirits and you look up there you see the the gargoyle on the corner of the building and that's exactly right folks they're used to ward off the evil spirits and i always thought that would be a cool tattoo that would be so the next three on our list basically um when we go over them, you'll probably maybe see the same similarity. But it always makes me think of uh, of Narnia and going through the gates of Narnia. So the um, the next one is a, a minotaur. According to Greek myth, the minotaur was the offspring of the queen of Crete and majestic bull that came from the sea. The minotaur had the body of a man with the head and tail of a bull. King Minos was so horrified by this creation that he had he had a complicated maze called the labyrinth built in order to imprison him. Remember the labyrinth? Yeah. Oh, yeah. David Bowie. Yeah. That was a great one. Yeah. Wasn't Tom Cruise in that? Was Tom Cruise in the labyrinth? I think. I'm going to have to fact check that. Jimmy. (laughs) So, centaurs, Steve. Centaurs are another human and animal hybrid. Uh, The Greek legend is the centaur. Centaurs have the body of a horse and the head and chest of a human. While these creatures were widely depicted as wild, there was a centaur named Sharon who was possessed uh, by great wisdom. He tutored several characters in Greek mythology. So centaurs can be very smart and intellectual. Nice. And also they look cool, man. They get the big steed. Oh, yeah. The body of a horse and then the big chest of a greek warrior there like i could see myself as a centaur i i I could see you as a centaur as well thank you thank you i'm gonna stick with uh the scorpion man though oh i know you love that shit i mean we'd still be baller walking down the street yeah so fawns or goat men were carried over to roman mythology from greek satyrs in turn satyrs appeared 
appearance was based on the god Pan, with the legs and tail of a goat and the upper body of a man. In art, they also feature other goat-like features, such as horns and pointed ears. These goat men offer guidance to travelers in need. So yes, I think that one probably be the closest to like at the gates of Narnia. You see like this little goat man, and he's also like on a little flute. Oh yeah, yeah you know, I'm not familiar with the god Pan. Um, are you saying Pan or Pan? I can't really picture Pan in my head when I'm thinking of all the Greek or mythological gods. Just I don't get Pan. Peter Pan? Well, that'd be a Peter Pan complex. I don't know if he'd be a god. Right. Well, here's one that probably most people know. The werewolf. Now, the history of the werewolf or the lycanthrope is incredibly diverse with stories from Germanic pagan cultures, Slavic Europe, and classic Greek mythology. Despite such ancient origins, werewolves have obviously remained popular until today. Generally speaking, a werewolf is a human who can transform and shapeshift into a wolf. Though stories may differ depending on the lore, the full moon may or may not be involved. Now, one of the best um, depictions that I can think of as like a real werewolf would be um we did an episode on skinwalker ranch which i highly great episode highly advised to go check it out if you haven't and uh on skinwalker ranch the people that had currently owned it um they had some cattle and there was a small calf on the on the property and the calf had had his uh like had his like his face or his upper and bottom lip like hanging out over over the fence um because they were just eating and a wolf came up and grabbed a, grabbed the calf by a bottom lip and uh, was pulling at him. So the farmer, he shot at the wolf like three times with a 357. And the wolf stopped after that and like ran off and ran off and then stopped. And then by that point, the, uh, the farmer's son had got the guy's rifle, a 30-odd six. Shoots the, shoots the wolf with a 30-odd six. And if there's any hunters out there, any gun enthusiasts, you know what that round would do. And the wolf just ran off. And they tried to track it. They found the patch of hair that the 30-odd-6 uh, took off of the wolf, but the tracks of the wolf stopped at a, a, at like a, a creek or a riverbed and never found it. So, I mean, to me, that would be like a real-life werewolf. Not like like less than like uh, like you know, Teen Wolf, something like that, you know, with uh, Michael J. Fox. Right. For that one, they were saying that, you know, they thought that wolf uh, should have died from the first shots but it just was like keeping going i mean three three shots from a 357 and then getting shot with a 30 yacht and still not being able to find there should be nothing left right loch ness yeah this is an awesome awesome story and i'm out of all these i'm so impressed with the amount of research that's gone into this particular one yeah it's awesome surprisingly the myth of loch ness monster uh, referred to as Nessie, lovingly, dates all the way back to the Picts, a people group of ancient Scotland. Scottish folklore is full of mythological water creatures, but Nessie is definitely the most famous. In appearance, the Loch Ness Monster resembles a pleosaur, a water-based dinosaur. Since most photographic or eyewitness accounts are considered hoaxes, the creature is widely assumed to be a myth. However, many still believe that Nessie's out there today. But we think that the verdict's in. 
I think we got this. Now we, one. Now we can't say with a hundred percent accuracy because we can't speak for the what the other over the hundred years that Nessie's been spotted. But what has come, what's come out recently, and it's it's a, it's a theory and it's a good one, and I, I think I speak for Steve as well that we we support this theory. I mean, it looks strikingly similar. So okay, so bear with me. Um, try not to get you know too vulgar or anything, but. Um, within Loch Ness, uh, sometimes whales get into get into that channel, and um, if there, there's usually like around five, like four four male and one's a female. Well, they're all trying to date or date. <laughs> they're all trying to mate with the uh, with the whale with the female whale. Well, obviously, only one gets the opportunity to do so. Now, nobody knows why, but the the, the whales that were, I guess, for the lack of a better term, were rejected. They'll go close to the surface. And they'll expose their penises out of the water. And, I mean, they're pretty immense. And they kind of curve, too, at the top. And, I mean, and if you think I'm joking, just, I mean, you can Google this. It's amazing. So if you would think that within the darkness of a shadow or a picture taken at a distance from outside the water, it looks like Nessie's neck and, like, bent. Right, Steve? Honestly, so if there's five and the female gets a mate then there's three left over and those three will like i don't know if they're airing it out or what they're doing they spin over on their backs and the penis goes out of the water and when you see it it's just a striking image it looks just like nessie as soon as i saw it i was like well we figured that one out (laughs) it's pretty compelling and like i said you know from a distance or from like a picture taken from a distance i mean you'd be like wow look at that you know, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. I mean, the striking similarity is is glaring. Yeah. So yeah, if you go out there, there's there, there's pictures, and I think like there's like three of them doing it all at the same time. So it's pretty incredible. Now the next one, uh, Griffin. And now Griffin is a hybrid of a lion and an eagle. The Griffin was a powerful, majestic creature of ancient Egyptian and Persian mythology. Traditionally. Griffins were depicted with the body, tail, and hind legs of a lion, in addition to the head, wings, and talons of an eagle. However, sometimes the art of the griffin featured the creatures with lion's lion's front paws as well. In legend, griffins were the guardians over great treasure and riches. I dig the griffin. Well, here's the thing. Lion, the lion is the king of, uh, like, the forest, you know, or whatever, the Serengeti, the and the eagle is, you know, the U.S. national bird. It's king of the sky. So if you mix two really powerful animals like that, um, what you come up with, the griffin, you have to be able to respect what level of power the griffin brings. Especially if it's guarding the treasures and the riches. Especially. And uh, who else would you rather have guarding that? I mean, the griffin is very powerful. Right. This next one, I, I think this is my favorite one. The phoenix. The phoenix is a mythical eagle-like creature generally known for bursting into flames at the end of their life, only to emerge from the ashes as a young phoenix. In both ancient Egyptian and classical myth, the phoenix was associated with sun worship and was depicted as the large bird with gold and red feathers that could live for hundreds of years. The phoenix was a symbol of immortality, eternity, and resurrection, sun god being Ra. 
I like. Okay, so the Phoenix. So yeah, the Phoenix is usually assimilated with, uh, you know, the rebirth of everything, or if somebody is struggling with something and they overcome it, they're rising out of the, the ashes. I like the Phoenix as well. Still like that Scorpion man though. Yeah, I, I know that you do like that Scorpion guy. Basilisk. In European legend, the Basilisk is a serpentine creature who, much like the Gorgons of Greek myth, can kill with one look. Basilisks, sometimes called the King of Serpents, are featured in liter- literature including works by Chaucer and Leonardo da Vinci, as well as religious texts such as the Bible. It was hypothesized that the Basilisk could kill by subjecting them to the odor of weasels, griffin tears, or seeing its own reflection. This is interesting. Be a tough one. The King of Serpents. So you basically have to go in there with a shield that has a mirror on it. Um, some type of gun, water gun with griffin tears in it. Or the odor of a weasel. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Or the odor of a weasel. And, uh, you know, best of luck to you, I guess. Not only have I never smelled a weasel, I'm not even sure I've ever seen a weasel, like, up close and personal. I'm not even really sure what a weasel is. Yeah, you're going to have better chance of finding out the odor of a weasel than getting a hold of griffin tears, I'm afraid. So I've never seen either. Unicorn. <laughs> there we go. Unicorn. Unicorns are a horse or goat-like animal with a single horn, are commonly depicted mythical creature from ancient mythology in Mesopotamia, India, Greece, and China. All the way into modern age, people have been fascinated by these majestic creatures. Unicorns were said to contain healing properties. For example, if you drank from a cup made out of a unicorn horn, you would be protected from poisons. Now, everyone thinks that that is just one horn coming out of the unicorn's head. But really, if you get close enough, you will see that it is three separate horns coming out that have braided together over time. And there's sometimes parts of the braid that are open. So you can there's some unicorn horns that you can see through that have like a little hollow part in them. Yeah, and if you're a unicorn enthusiast, uh, I believe April 9th of every year is Unicorn Day. And there are tons of unicorn enthusiasts out there. There are, but you know what I'm an enthusiast of? What? Dragons. Oh, I know that. (laughs) Dragons are giant serpent-like wing monsters that have been featured in myths from all around the world. Despite being so well-known, the origin of a dragon myth is something of a mystery. Furthermore, there are some cultures that believe that the creatures are not in fact mythical, but rather giant creatures who had previously died out like dinosaurs, which I believe because they say that all birds are descendants from um, dinosaurs. Well, we had those pterodactyls that were massive. Yeah, they had wingspans upward of uh, 10 feet. And what people don't understand about a dragon, you think a dragon is like, you know, Jabba the Hutt, real slob and like heavy, but... A dragon is really not heavy because they fly. Dragon bones are hollow, and dragons are actually very light in weight. Yeah, I agree, and I dig them. I like them. The fire breathing is the one thing that sets the dragon apart. And uh, like you and I were talking about, if it was an actual um, creature similar to a pterodactyl, but maybe had acid. Yeah, like some type of venom. And when they said when it came out, it burned. And over centuries, the myth became that it was fire because what came out of their mouth burned everybody. 
and also if they had like that red beard, if there was like red feathers or something around their mouth and they spit acid that burned, you could very easily in um, oral history get passed down from generation to generation as fire. Sure, just so. like the, you know, chariots of the gods with ETs. You know, they didn't have any better way of explaining what they were seeing other than chariots of fire coming from the sky. There was a period of about eight months where Fultz made me call him Dragon. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't stick, but we gave it a shot. Now, uh, another thing that doesn't stick is people don't believe in in uh, this next one very much, which I beg to differ. Is Bigfoot? While many believe that this creature is the missing link between apes and human beings, Bigfoot or Sasquatch is widely considered to be a myth- mythology- mythological being. Bigfoot is described as being large, hairy, humanoid creature, somewhere between six feet and nine feet tall. Specific to North American folklore, supposed Bigfoot sightings have occurred in Northern California, Oregon, Washington, and British Columbia, where there's so much massive land up there. I mean, that's where you'd see him. Um, we did a whole show on Bigfoot. It's a, it's a lot of fun. If you haven't heard it, I'd go back and listen to it. It's probably a few years back. Um, but I always liked Bigfoot uh, when I was growing up. There was a show, co- or there was a movie called Harry and the Hendersons, which was awesome, and they um, they took care of this uh, Bigfoot, and at the end, uh, like one of them, he walked off with his wife and his child. So there was three of them. So they all walked off into the into the woods together. I love that story. But they were camouflaged. Right, you couldn't see them till they turned to walk away. It was awesome. So yeah, Bigfoots. The thing about them is that they're so elusive. Bigfoot hunting is very popular. There's a, a couple things you do. You bang a stick on a tree three times, or uh, I believe, and then if it comes back like through the woods, then you know that you're communicating with the Bigfoot. And there's a banshee yell that they use, kind of like a like a pig like a pig call, um, to interact with the Bigfoot as well. Although there's never really been a body found. They believe that in the Bigfoot culture, when one of them dies, that they destroy the remains um, just to continue uh, with the elusiveness of the Bigfoot. So that's part of their culture. Yeah, and if you think about the vastness of, uh, of Northern California, Oregon, Washington, and British Columbia, I mean, it's almost the same as saying, uh, well, we don't know it's at the depths of the ocean because it hasn't all been explored. Who knows? Maybe there's some creature that has a you know evolved and is just living elusively uh throughout these lands i mean who knows um but i know that bigfoot stories and ufo stories correlate usually there's usually a spotting of each on on the same day um i I just needed to get aliens in there you know yeah of course so the Shamira. In Greek mythology, the Shamira was a fire-breathing mythical creature, usually depicted as a lion merged with a goat and a snake, which was related to monsters such as the Cerebrus. However, the term Shamira is now often used to describe any creature that is a hybrid of multiple animals, often composed of wildly different parts. That's cool how that word, you know, grew just from being a lion merged with a goat and a snake to now being a, a word that you can use for any creature that's a hybrid of multiple animals. Yeah, I mean, you can go from being three different things into something completely different. Goat, snake. I love it. Yeah, I think that's really cool. I like the Shamira. The Hydra, this one's cool. Another mythical creature uh, coming from ancient Greece. 
The Hydra was depicted as a gigantic snake-like monster with many heads, uh, each of which could dispel acid. Uh, In the mythological accounts, cutting off one of the Hydra's heads would result in two more growing back in its place. Before his death at the hands of Hercules, the Hydra was known to terrify people living in the marshes of Lerna. That would be the most frustrating fight of your life. <laughs> yeah, it would. Cutting off a head and you get two more. I mean, you just be like, start running. Everywhere you, you know, you stab it, you think you got a good shot in, but two heads pop out there. Just like filth. Turn around and run. Now, here's a great one that I love. Zombies. For anyone who likes horror films, you'll know that zombies have long and varied history, not only in Hollywood, but in legend. Zombies originated in Haitian folklore, with the Haitian-French term zombie, or Haitian Creole, zombie, used to describe a corpse reanimated through magic or other means. Across the years, zombie stories have shifted to meet current cultural fears and context, and bodies are often reanimated through viruses or other scientific processes. Which you know that's it's interesting that uh, that it's they're reanimated through viruses because you can actually go out to the CDC website and check out um, you know uh, they have a plan as far as our uh, as far as like what you should do in case of uh, a zombie uh, outbreak or a zombie apocalypse. Now they say that it's you know it's all done in jest, but you know when an agency is putting something out, whenever is it in jest? I can tell you right now, if you're into zombies and you want to hear more about it, stay tuned to Subtle Beast. Zombies is up on our whiteboard, and I could talk about zombies with you all day, folks. Definitely, definitely. Uh, so, okay, so I was gonna I was gonna share something else, but I'm gonna save it for the next episode then. So, the Pontianak, Steve. Yes, this is one of the scariest ghost stories from around the world. It's the story of the Pontianak. In Indonesian and Malay mythology, the Pontianak is a female spirit of a woman who died while pregnant. The Pontianak is a pale creature with long dark hair and red eyes. And while objectively frightening, she can transform into a beautiful woman to prey on men. She is said to appear at the full moon and feast on the bodily organs of her victims. Aw. I know, it's so weird. She sounds sweet. It sounds wretched. It sounds horrible. I'm so sorry that she died while pregnant and the dark hair with the red eyes thing. But then being able to transform into like a beautiful woman to lure you in. Scary. I don't need no parts of the Pontianak, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Or this next one, the Banshee. Originating in Irish folktales, the Banshee is a female spirit said to appear preceding the death of a loved one. She will wail or shriek to warn family members of a coming disaster. Physical descriptions of the Banshee vary, from a one-foot-tall old woman to a young woman in the family who died at a young age. My grandmother, she used to, like, if we were carrying on or screaming or, like, crying... When we were kids, she would always tell us, stop screaming, you're, you're going to make the banshee come. And uh, you know, if you saw the banshee, it meant like a loved one was going to die, and we knew that, so it would always scare us, so you know, we would stop. But There's also another great movie from the 80s uh, called Darby O'Gill and the Little People, and it has leprechauns in it, but the banshee is also in it. So uh, look that movie up and check it out. If you, even if you got small kids, because it, you know, it's a kid movie, but... Man, the banshee in that movie always always scared me a lot. I think it's great how uh, not so long ago it was just okay for you know grandmas to instill 
crazy stories to children just to make them behave. Yeah, just to give you fear. Steve, the Dybbuk. The Dybbuk. The Dybbuk is a Jewish folktale of a ghost or a dislocated soul of a dead person, which then possesses a living human. Derived from Hebrew for adhere or cling, this malevolent spirit is said to only depart from its host once it has achieved some sort of goal, allowing it to pass on. So this thing like sticks to you. Yeah, I mean, and uh, the there's been things known as the Dybbuk box where an evil spirit has been trapped inside. And some people maybe even try and sell them online. I've seen them, and they're usually like sealed with wax. Now, who knows if the ones that they're selling online are real or not. But, uh, you know, some people have opened them up. Uh, you know, they've written on forms that they've opened them up, and uh, they wish that they hadn't because of all the activity that's now in their house, and it's just it's just ramping up. And just stay away from that. If, the, if you see a Dybbuk box, it's sealed for a reason. Know that somebody went through the effort to completely seal that so that you didn't open it. Similar to a Pandora's box, you open that, you get um, just one thing after another that is going to continue. It's like kind of like bad luck. Like it just yeah. one thing after another going wrong, something else going wrong, something, and you just wish you never open it. So you see a box like that and it's closed, just leave it closed. Yeah. Now this next one that we're going to talk about um, is interesting because Steve thinks he met one. Vampire. Over the years, vampires have taken many forms, and I don't mean just turning into bats. While the vampire myth originated in Europe, most cultures have folktales surrounding vampiric creatures. The most predominant feature of vampires is the consumption of a person's vital essence, most often in the form of blood. It's interesting to note that the pale and sophisticated vampire, which has become commonplace in the media, did not exist before the 19th century. So here's the vampire thing. Okay. I'm given blood, and it's a blood mobile, and it's traveled um, locally. And I get in there, it's tight quarters. So the, the back is like three feet. This room is so small. And this person's asking me all of these personal questions to see if I'm eligible to give blood, which I was, and I was able to successfully donate. And that's something that I feel passionately about. I've had people that needed blood transfusions um, due to like operations, and it's a great way to save a life. So if you can ever donate blood, please do. It helps people out. Um, but on this particular day, uh, the person that was asking me the questions was a female, and I don't know at what point during the interaction I felt this way, but she enjoyed her job too much. I think it was when she, they give you like a little pinprick on your finger and then you have to dab it on to see if it's like. (laughs) Yeah, to see if it it has too much iron. Too high in iron or something. It it wasn't that (laughs) obvious. I guess I'm like super sensitive. Um, but I, I, re- I remember like vividly having this overwhelming feeling that this person is too into what they're doing and that they have like a love for blood. And I was, I don't know, I kept like that feeling wouldn't leave me. And then I got passed on to another person that was doing the actual like, um, procedure to get the blood out and everything. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that person just – so then I I talked to some other people about it, and the guy that I shared that story with um, live, 
he was like, oh, yeah, my cousin's like that. Uh, she works for the coroner, and she gets, you know, all excited about those events that where things are, you know, bloody. And I, I was like, man, there must be, like, a whole culture, Yeah, of, like, vampiric type of behavior that I was never aware of until, you know, I met one up close and personal. And so. <laughs> so well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go give blood at this place, and I'm going to get my take on this vampire. And yeah. then we'll report back. Check it out. Yeah. So. Last one here, boogeyman. Did you grow up thinking that you did? If you didn't behave, the boogeyman would get you. The boogeyman was created with the sole purpose of caring, scaring children into good behavior, because there are variations of the boogeyman in every culture. It is difficult to pinpoint a place of origin. Furthermore, the appearance of the boogeyman differs culturally, as he's sometimes depicted with horns, claws, talons, or hooves. However, the legend of the boogeyman, in all of its varying forms, is almost a universal myth. Now, do, do you remember when you were three? Uh, well, gosh, when I was three, and even growing up even older than that, my grandmother, my Italian grandmother, she didn't warn us of the boogeyman. She always warned us of uh, of gypsies, which is she'd be like, you can't be out of after dark because if you are, the gypsies are going to come and take you. And we'd always be like, oh, my God. <laughs> so, you know, you picture these gypsies just pulling up in vans and just kidnapping you. You're coming inside. You don't want, yeah, you would, that would scare me so bad. I, I remember thinking that there was something in my closet, not under my bed, because I knew it was under my bed. Yeah. But, you know, as I would think that, and it was terrifying. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, my Italian grandmother was the same one that would say, stop screaming, or the banshee would come in. So there was a lot of scare tactics. Yeah. Growing up that, uh, you know, scare the crap out of you. But, um, so hopefully we were able to uh, relate to maybe some of your memories from your past uh, with some of these myths and folklores. Um, I had a good time thinking about some of the things I used to do as a kid and, and how I've shared uh, some of these uh, folklores and legends with, uh, with my kids. So we, as Subtle Beasts, wanted to share it with you and a, and a detailed list because it's not just mentioning an ogre. Now you know what an ogre is. Right. I feel like we've covered them well and hopefully there that has uh spawned some interest in the in the zombie show and we come back with a nice in-depth look at at the zombie i agree so well i'll tell you what i enjoyed it so until next time i'm folds and i'm steve we'll see you next time take care of one another bye-bye